If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're marching through the Gospel of Luke. Last week, uh, we looked at uh, 7 and 8, talked about how uh, to build on the firm foundation, which is the Word of Christ. We saw that His Word is true, that it is worth us building a life on. And then we saw that not only is His Word to be trusted, it is to be honored when you look at what Christ has done. So He, he shows up, He heals a woman, um, He raises a daughter from the grave, He heals a man that is demon-possessed and there is no help for Him, and He calms the storm. When you see that authority, you cannot shrug your shoulders at the Bible, at the Word of Christ. And then you get to chapter 9. And what we're going to look at today is a couple of passages in chapter 9. And it's the cost of discipleship. The question is, will you follow Jesus? And so we're going to clarify uh, what that means. And I love the song, which is worthy of every breath I ever breathe. Like, like that's not words you can just say lightly. And you have to come with the decision is, is Jesus worth every breath I breathe? That's not nominal language. That's not just, oh, all right, here we go. It's not a throwaway line in a song. This is worship. Or the next verse, I live for you, I live for you, Jesus. That is an act of worship. And so I wonder if we were singing with the emotion of what the words were saying. Because that's where we're going. And listen, I know there are a thousand distractions today. I know there's things competing for your time, but the issue of following Christ is primary in your life. I'm not saying that Jesus said that. And we're going to see that clearly with His words. And so we've got some work to do this morning. It's a little bit more serious in tone, but I think that's the gravity in which Jesus speaks here, because in this passage, what you see is Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, and we know what happens in Jerusalem. The disciples didn't. They knew they didn't want to go to Jerusalem, because they don't treat Jesus too well in Jerusalem, but we know when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he's nailed to a tree, and he's buried. And so we're going to walk with Jesus to Jerusalem. And because we're with Jesus, it's worth it. And so that's the work we're going to do today. What I need you guys to answer, and where I've been challenged all week in studying this passage, is will I follow Jesus? And you don't get to set the standards. It's His invitation. He sets the course. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, I pray with with everything going on in the room, with all the backgrounds and ages and demographics represented, with all the life stages that we are in, with all the challenges that are coming our way, I pray for your spirit to move in a mighty way. Lord, there's some here that need you now, that have never seen you as Lord of their life, and I pray that you move and open up their eyes so that they can see your Glory, And then there's others here that have committed to following you, but they have slagged behind and they need a renewed heart. And I pray that you give that today. And then, Father, I pray there's others in the room that are suffering and, and this time of life is a challenge. I pray that they know that you are with them as they walk with you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we look at this passage. 
and, and we see clarity with Jesus, and then we see uh, carrying a cross, and then we see the, the cost of following Christ. And so I, I want us to see um, we always weigh the cost, right? And as I was looking, I had different faces uh, on my mind as I was preparing the sermon. I'm thinking, uh, some of you guys are evaluating the cost of being on a team. Is it worth summer conditioning and practices and workouts or not? Some of you are weighing that with jobs and retirement. Should I keep up with this or should I take the retirement package and do this with my time? Some of you are doing this with relationships. Some of you are doing this with neighborhoods and houses. But all of us weigh the cost. And so I'll give you a couple of examples in my life. Um, it was a, a small phase in my life. It didn't last very long after I did a little research. Um, I, I watched a solo, a free solo, where these guys are climbing mountains. And then I thought after watching the video, I could do it. And then I thought, what's the biggest mountain on the planet? Well, one of them's Mount Everest. And then I looked into it, and then I found out it's $70,000 to climb. It takes two months, 66 days, and only 80% make it to the summit. Right Now, these guys make it look easy. But you also see that it's very cold. So I Googled that. How, how hot does it get in the warmest temperatures in Mount Everest? It never gets above freezing on the mountain. And then I thought, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to be two months gone from my, my kids and my wife. I don't want to spend 70000 on this, and I don't want to be cold. So I said, not worth the cost. And then I thought, well, I got another thing on my bucket list, bull riding. And so I started to look up uh, and, and counting the cost for that. I found, hey, this might be worth it. For $425, you can go to a two-day school in Martin, Tennessee. You know how far away that is? Five hours. I figured one of you guys would want to do this with me, and so we would go spend, share the expense of a hotel, do a little bull riding, and listen, check this out. No experience necessary. This facility uses the best safety gear in the sport, including the best and most used protective vests, helmets, a brain pad mouth guard. I don't know what else you would need. By doing so, the rate and severity of injury is far below that of what you'll see in any rodeo. Which made me think, well, what's the rodeo stats? The numbers show that nearly 20 of every 100,000 rodeo contestants can expect to suffer a catastrophic injury. That doesn't sound good. Had to do a little bit more. In football, that rate is less than one in every 100,000 players. Catastrophic injury means a player either died or had their life altered in a significant way. So we're like, ah, that's a little bit more expensive than I want to pay. I don't want to get stepped on a bull. So then I thought, have you guys ever heard of inflatables? Andrew, go ahead to the next one. I can do this, right? I'm waiting for one of you guys to splurge and get this float, and then I'll get some really strong football players to, to shake it up, and I can ride an inflatable. Right, so maybe that's the cost I'm willing to pay. So my bucket list is shrinking is what I'm saying, and it's not because I'm living the life. It's because I'm counting the cost. And then this past weekend, we had a birthday party for Ava. Ava turned 13. And so we did a little getaway to Columbus, and we started to count the cost. But some things you can't count correctly, like taking four girls to a place that has over 250 shops. Like, I start sweating, thinking, like, oh, my goodness, how long are we going to say? Five hours. Five hours of shopping times four. Carry the zero. Carry the one. Counting the cost. And, and luckily, I live with a wife and doctor that they're not high maintenance. Uh, they look at the nice shops and then go to another shop. Um, they don't break the bank, but counting the cost. We all do it. And so when it comes to following Jesus, we have to be clear on a few things. And Jesus helps us be clear. 
And so when it comes to following Jesus, I want us to count the costs. All right? So, number one, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be clear on who you are following. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be clear on who you are following. This isn't just some dude. This isn't some teacher. This isn't a wise guy that has some sayings. No, you have to be clear on who he is. And so you see this in verse 18 of chapter 9. He goes to say, Now it happened that he was, with, or he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Right? So there's a lot of people talking about him. You've got to understand the, the context. This is after a few of the healings. This is after a couple of the miracles. People are saying a lot of good things about Jesus, but they're not good enough. And so the disciples answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old, have risen. Right? Those, are, those are high pictures. Right? That's high praise, unless Jesus is God, and then it doesn't meet the standard. Jesus is a prophet, but he's more than that. He's the word of God. And he is the way and the truth and the life. And so that's good, but it's not right. And so Jesus goes on and says, but who do you say that I am? Right? And I love this. Jesus gets right down on their level and makes it personal. And so the question could be asked of you. And I wish I could have this conversation individually with everybody in the room. Who do you say Jesus is? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This will keep you following Jesus when it gets tough, and it's going to get tough. But if you don't know who you're following, you're not going to stick with him when life kicks you in the teeth. So, who is Jesus? I love Peter's answer. He answered, and he's speaking for the group, you're the Christ of God. Right Now, real quick, Christ is in office. Christ is the one who was promised in the Old Testament. This is from the line of David, the king that will rescue, that will redeem a people. That's who Jesus is. Now, we know on this side of the resurrection, Jesus is God in the flesh. And so check out just some of the descriptions of who Jesus is. In Colossians 1, if you're taking notes, you want to read this chapter. Colossians 1, and basically it's like 14 to 21, but it has this picture of Christ, and, and this is the description. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see God in the flesh. He is the creator of all things. Jesus is eternal. He was born of a woman, and we celebrate that at Christmas, but he didn't start there. He was there in the beginning. He created all things. And Jesus is the sustainer of all things. You and I are breathing right now because Jesus is so big, He sustains us. He is the fullness of God in whom He dwells. And then in Hebrews 1, 3, it says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That is who we follow. That's the invitation. It is amazing to me that people think they should do what they want or follow somebody else instead of Jesus. We have to be clear on who Jesus is. And so I'll use this example, and obviously this falls way short. But coming up, there's a men's basketball tournament. Brayon Avery's putting this on up at Holmes High School. So, and it's for old men right now. 
I started to think, do I have a couple guys I could play? And I saw some of the guys getting some teams in there like, oh, I think we could beat them. I think we could beat them. Um, I played for a, a men's league, sports of all sorts, called Hood Rich. My name's Preach. My number's 88. My stats aren't great, so I won't share them. But our team was pretty good. Made it to the championship. We lost by 20. But we made it there. So I started to think, you know, we could get this guy and this guy and this guy. And we probably could compete. Now, what if LeBron James and Anthony Davis walked through that door? And they come up and say, hey, uh, coach, we saw this tournament going on up at Holmes, and uh, we don't need any help, but you can be on our team. You want to know what I would say to Hoodrich? Guys, it's been nice. I'm going with these guys. I get to play with the greatest basketball player on the planet, right? These two, this would be so – I'm following these guys, right? Now, here's the point. Somebody infinitely greater than LeBron James and Anthony Davis has invited you to follow him why don't we follow? We have God saying, hey, just follow me. And we're so slow to follow. Why is that? If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be clear on who we are following. And then this gets to the next part. And this is one of the reasons why it's hard to follow Jesus. Um, there were a lot of people following him after he fed 5,000 people. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. And he said some hard things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood and, and, and do this. And, and people just started leaving like, ah, oh, you're weird. I'm out. You're weird. I'm out. And he's talking about how he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And unless you come and suffer and die to yourself, you can't follow me. All of a sudden people are like, well, that's not worth a buffet. I'm out. Right? Because they didn't see clearly who Jesus is. And the same is going to be true of you. You have to nail this down in your heart who Jesus is. And he's fully God and he's fully man. And he goes to a cross and dies for your sin. He is buried in a tomb and he is raised from the dead. He ascends to the Father. He is reigning and ruling, patiently enduring, and he's going to return for his people. That's who has invited you to follow. Be clear on who Jesus is. But here we see that the disciples, after this confession, after this, Peter nails it. But man, he has so much to learn. Nobody thought that the Christ was going to come and win the road to triumph. Nobody thought it was a road that included a cross. They thought they were coming and reigning and ruling. Now think about this. If you have a new king, he's going to say and do whatever he wants to do. You're not going to die. That's exactly what Jesus does. And the disciples had to get that in their mind. If you're going to follow me, understand what you're signing up for. So be clear on who Jesus is, but then secondly... You have to carry a cross. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must give all of yourself to God. Your dreams, your desires, your goals, your hopes. You are saying, when you commit to following Jesus, that you trust Jesus with your life more than you trust yourself with your life. That's the, the call. And the crazy part is, no matter who in the room, the invitation is the same the demands are the same. And so let's hear from Jesus. And he said, if anyone will come after me, all are invited. You want to follow me? This is what is included. Uh, this is in verse 23. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Right now, we don't carry crosses around anymore. Right? That, that was back in this context. And this is what happens. The Romans, the state, would say, you are convicted of this crime. 
and the criminal would carry his cross exactly where the Romans wanted them to carry that cross, and then they would lay down and be nailed to the cross, and they would die. And what Jesus is saying is here is, when you follow me, you're denying yourself, you're laying your life down, and you're following me. Right? The criminal is going to say, hey, uh, Mr. Roman soldier, I'm a little bit tired. Um, I'm not going that way. I'm going to take a, you don't get to choose. You go where they say go. And that's what Jesus is saying. Or as what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Carrying the cross means an end to doing life my way. So here's my question. When I ask, hey, will you follow Jesus? I think everybody in the room would answer yes. But then, if we had a mirror or a video of your life 24-7, would you say you live life your way or the way Jesus leads? Because that's what Luke is doing here. Isn't that a challenge? Because I don't want a video on my life 24-7. I don't want people watching. But when I follow Jesus, it's a continual commitment. Daily. Daily take up your cross. And so uh, one thing that I like to do, I like to set reminders. And, and so for me, it's brushing my teeth. For you, it might be uh, taking a shower. It might be changing. Whatever you do regularly, try to get in your head this passage in Luke. Right? Today, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Today, deny yourself. Today, follow Jesus. So when I brush my teeth, I want to think of, oh, that's right, I'm invited to follow Jesus. What does that mean? That means taking up my cross, laying down my life. So that means I don't do what I want to do. I do what Christ has called me to do. And so for me, it's brushing my teeth. Hopefully you do that every day. Let that be a daily reminder. Every day when you wake up, it's taking your cross, following Jesus. Now, here's the cool part. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to carry your cross, deny yourself, follow him. But then if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to lose your life. So this is the picture of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. It's losing your life. And well, that's... That defeats the purpose. But here's the crazy part when it comes to following Jesus. When you lose your life, you gain it. And when you try to gain it, you lose it. And so let Jesus say it. Verse 24, For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And this is the tragic reality of many people in the church and out of the church. We're looking for satisfaction in everything but Christ. And you're never going to find it. And so I tried to do this as an example. We'll see if this works. In this jug, I've got lemon-lime Gatorade. Ice-cold Gatorade. And let's say I decide, you know what, I want to get in shape. I'm going to go for a run. And it's like 95 degrees out, heat index, humid. You can't breathe real well. And I just start running, start running, start running, start running, start running. And then about a half hour, I come in here, and I'm dying of thirst. And I come over to this table, I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. I got these cool little plastic cups. But this isn't enough, right? I need a bigger cup. So I got a, a bigger plastic cup. Or, whoo, hit the jackpot. I got a Dunkin' Donuts cup. This will be perfect for all this. Get but, but then I start, get like, well, you know what? The, this is the bomb. Right? If you were at VBS, this was the bomb. Right? You wanted these cups. You didn't want the small. You want the, the big cup. And, man, look, I got like 20 cups. Or if I get greedy, I'm like, man, I just need a bigger bucket. Right? I just need a bigger bucket. And I start going, and I get all this. And then I go back and 
go back outside, and I'm thinking, what was the whole point? I was thirsty. I needed some Gatorade. Never took a sip. I was collecting cups. And the more cups I got, the happier I thought I would be. But I never, ever got to drink what I came in to drink. I missed the point. A lot of us in life are doing the same thing. We think if we just gain more stuff, if I just had a better job, better car, uh, better wife, better life, I'd be happy. And you're just collecting cups. You see, everything in this world was created by God for his glory. And so when we go to the beach water park with students and volunteers at VBS, we go there and we praise God for something as cool as a water slide that we get to go down to and a pool to jump into and the ability to splash around and play pool basketball. Like we want to thank God. for That's not the end. That's not the goal. We're not going to worship pool basketball. We're worshiping the God who created that. And so if that's all gone, that's fine because we still have God who created thousands and thousands of other things. Think about what we worship. Think about what you spend your time on, what you spend your treasure on. Don't collect cups. Lose your life and then you'll gain it. And and that's the, the, the crazy part. So what does it look like for you to lose your life at school? What would it look like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus at Holmes High School? It'd be a radically different school. What would our neighborhoods look like? What would our families look like? And now here's the awesome part. When you lay your life down, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what Jesus called me. Here's the cool part. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Or, in John, I think it's John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. And that's the crazy part. A lot of times we think that when we come to Jesus, I can't do this and I can't do that, and this is going to rob me of this. But in actuality, when you come to Jesus, your joy will be maximized. Your peace will be maximized. Your peace that surpasses under you get that. You want life? It's in Jesus. But the crazy way to get it is by losing your own life and taking up the cross and following him. That's the upside down way of Jesus. But man, that's a steep price. But if you're going to follow him, you've got to carry your cross. And then the, the last one, and this is the last verse, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes into glory and the glory of my Father and of the holy angels. I don't know about you. I'd rather be embarrassed in front of this whole room than embarrassed in front of God and the heavenly hosts. I'd rather be embarrassed in the cafeteria at Holmes High School with some students than I would in front of my Creator and my Savior. And so think about be ashamed of my words. So right there, being ashamed of words means, you know what, Jesus has said this, but I don't want to do that. That's too rigid. I don't, I don't think that's true. I'm not going to do that. I'm ashamed of those words. And it's basically, it goes back to building your life on the rock of the Word of Christ. Wise man builds his life upon the rock. Storms come, house stands. Another way you can not be ashamed. So this thing right here. Now listen, we still got a little bit of work to do. This is called a baptismal. The guy called it a jacuzzi. I got a little excited when he delivered it and said jacuzzi. I was going to give him another address that he could have taken it to. But it is a baptismal. What happens is you fill this thing up with water. And it goes up to about here. Um, you'll get steps. You'll come in. Uh, you'll stand in. And then you go under the water and back out. Right? And right here 
is a way to say, hey, I'm not ashamed to follow Christ. This is what people do when they come to Christ. And you'll see this in the book of Acts. They're, they're saying they're identifying with Christ. It's a public demonstration that you belong to Jesus. You're on the team. And the cool picture of that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Denying yourself, taking the cross and following him. It represents Jesus' burial and his resurrection, but it also represents our death to self and new life in him. And now here's the cool part. we got about eight people to baptize that say, hey, I'm with Jesus. I want to make that public. They're not ashamed. I love this. So, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to carry your cross. Are you carrying your cross? Do you lose your life so that you may have life? Do you live an unashamed life, identifying with Christ and what he said to do? That's what we have to let. And then lastly, not only do you have to carry a cross, you have to count the cost. And this is where we will close. Following Jesus is a total commitment. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a sometimes thing. It's an all-the-time thing. And I was asking a couple of the students yesterday, and they nailed this. Like, they understand the demands of Christ. Right? You can't sometimes follow Jesus. It's not just a Sunday morning hour of worship. It's not at a beach camp. It's an all-the-time thing, and Jesus makes this crystal clear. And now listen, these words sound harsh. So I want us to walk through these. If we're going to follow Jesus, it's an all-the-time commitment. And here's, here's some of the costs. Number one, the cost of comfort. Verse 57 in Luke chapter 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, real quick, this is after Jesus has promised he's going and setting his face to Jerusalem. Right? So understand the context. He's getting ready to go and suffer and die. And then someone comes up and says, hey, I'll follow you. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, hey, if you're coming after me to be comfortable, you're coming to the wrong person. Birds and foxes have it better than I do. And he's making it very clear, if you're going to follow me, don't come after comfort. And and I'll be honest, for all of us in the room, we've got it made in the shade. We have AC in our church building. We don't, nobody's coming in our houses and locking us up if we read the Bible this week. Like, we're very comfortable. We've got shoes and sandals with padding. We don't have to suffer too much. And the scary reality is that comfort can choke life out of a person following Jesus. They can say, you know what, I'm not going to this continent I'm not going to this neighborhood because I'm comfortable and safe right here. But when you follow Jesus, it costs you something, and it will cost you your comfort. Don't depend on your bank account for security. Don't depend on your house for shelter. Depend on Christ for your security. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's costly, but he doesn't stop there. Not only does it cost you comfort, but it will cost you priorities. Verse, 58, or, uh, verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That's a pretty good excuse, right? If I don't go to school one day and I say, hey, I'm at a funeral, nobody's asking any questions. 
But listen to Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here's a question. How important is it to bury a family member? That's very important. Right? If my father died, I would be there until he is set at Burlington Cemetery where he already has a plot. But we'll be with the family, working, making sure this is taken care of. That's super important. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying something more important than even something as urgent as burying your father is here. That's the cost of priority. And I think we look at that and we're like, I don't know if I want to do that. Jesus doesn't blink an eye here. He's not telling everybody in the room to neglect their father. As a matter of fact, he says the exact opposite. But he's saying if there's ever a decision to be made, then probably the most important decision you have as a person and taking care of your mother or father and burying them and following me, there is no decision. You're following me. That's the cost of commitment. He's not sharing honor with anybody. That's the road. And so this is, one guy put it this way, I think it's helpful. In essence, a great excuse for postponing discipleship has been submitted. Jesus rejects the excuse and indirectly illumines many other situations in which duties and desires may conflict with the demands of following Jesus. Nothing is to block the pursuit of Jesus and nothing is to postpone walking with Jesus now. This is the cost of priority. So here's my question. What priority does Jesus have in your life? And you can't put them second, third, fourth, or fifth. He takes one spot. Because you see here, he's like, hey, no, if you're going to follow me, you can't do this. And so I hope this brings clarity into some of our lives. Is Jesus the number one priority of your life? And then we see the third thing, the cost of commitment. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those um, at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, Jesus, I just want to say bye. Hey, no, come on. Come on. There, there is no postponing. Now, real quick. Um, you remember when Jesus had the rich young ruler and he told him to go sell everything you had? And, and then he comes to Zacchaeus and he pays back like double and then gives a, a fourth away. But he doesn't tell him to sell everything he has. Right here, Jesus is not telling you and me to neglect our father when he dies and don't bury him. He's not saying say bye to your parents when you go on a missionary trip. What he is saying is to these individuals, he knows them. He's saying, hey, there's something greater than what you're saying is the greatest thing in your life right now. You think this is urgent, but there's something more urgent. And I think all of us should be reminded of that. How much emphasis have we put on proclaiming the kingdom? And Jesus just said it's more important than burying your father. When's the last time we spoke about Jesus? When's the last time we shared our story about what God is doing in our life? Do you see the priority Jesus gives here? And then the commitment, hey, don't look back. And don't we all have a tendency to look back? This is the Israelites. They're, they're in Egypt. They're in bondage. They're rescued out of that slavery in Egypt. They're in the desert, and they start grumbling. Like, were they not because there weren't graves in Egypt? They start looking back. Or you have Lot's wife. Right? Lot and his family, they're, they're sitting in Sodom and Gomorrah, a wicked city, and God is pouring out judgment. And as they're walking out of the city, rescued, 
she looks back, man, I wish I was back there. And isn't that our story? Right? We're, we're walking with Christ. We give this up. And so um, I, I'll use the, the image of drinking, right? Uh, let's say it was uh, driving. It was Star Spangled Hammer, right? Don't drink and drive. They had the billboards as we're driving to Columbus. And it's something about don't drive Star Spangled Hammered, right? Catchy little saying. Um, and what happens is, as, as people say, you know what, I'm following Jesus. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to be drinking and partying and doing all that garbage I used to do. I've got a new direction I'm walking. What, what the tendency will be is to look back and long for those days. And yet what Jesus is saying is, hey, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom. He said, hey, no, you look back and you say, you know what? I used to get drunk on want, but now I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to keep walking this way because this is where life is, not back there. And I think all of us deal with this issue of commitment. Peter did. And now here's the cool part. Jesus is a gracious Savior. He's the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Peter, when he should have been there for Christ, wasn't. When Jesus needed him the most, he's gone. And he knew it. And yet Jesus comes to him and says, hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus will come to you and do the same. So, in counting the cost and the question of is it worth it, um, I'll leave two examples from my past. Uh, my mom and dad surprised me with a King's Island Pass when I was young. I think I was in the sixth grade. Um, and all I had to do was go three times to make it worth it. Guess how many times I made it? Once. Right? I went one time, had a blast, but I couldn't get back up to the park just three times. Wasn't worth it. My senior year, um, for Christmas, I was surprised with a Supreme Fitness membership. Right? That used to be a gym out in Flowtown, out in Florence. And I, I wanted to get swole because I was playing football and needed to get strong. And so my parents helped me, got me a membership to this gym. And I went a few times early on when everybody else does in January. And by February, I say, ah, I'm not going to the gym today. And I'm not, turns out, not worth it. I can tell you this. For the last 29 years, ups and downs, and listen, this hit me as hard as it is hitting any of you guys. When you talk about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus, when you talk about losing your life so that you can find it, when you're talking about not being ashamed of Christ, when you're talking about the cost of commitment and priorities and comfort, like all of that, I'm still working through that, but I can promise you this, in the last 29 years of walking with Jesus, I have no regrets of following Christ. Whatever loss I've had, I count it as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He's worth everything I have. And so Luke, later on in his book, has this pearl of great price, right? It's this huge rock, diamond buried in the field. This guy comes up and finds it, and he's in his, in his excitement, in his joy, he leaves it, buries it back up, runs back, sells everything he has so he can buy this field because he found something that's worth everything. He says in his joy he bought the field. Why? Because he had this great pearl. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is worth everything that you have. And so, this is where I want to leave today. Right? And, and I'm going to close this in prayer. We're not, we're not having a, a song to close, but I want you to do work. As I pray, I want you to be praying. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, and He's moving in you right now, do it today.
You know who Jesus is. God in the flesh, dying for your sin, rising from the dead, coming back for His people. You know the costs. You know what it means to carry the cross. Make that commitment today. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus. Then, for others in the room that have been walking with Jesus for years, re-examine the cost. Re-examine the commitments. What does it look like for me to carry my cross in this area of life? And here's the cool part. Um, it looks radically different for me to carry the cross now than it did when I was an 18-year-old senior at Boone County High School. But the call is still to carry the cross. But now I do it with a family. What does that look like with Camden and raising her? What does it look like at Holmes High School and the students? What does it look like coaching? Like I'm applying that now in every area of my life, and that's what we need to do. And guess what? We need help in doing that. And here's the cool part. When you ask God for that wisdom, He'll give it to you. And so wherever God is moving, I want you to do work as I pray. All right? So this is just going to be a moment of silence. Do some work. You'll hear some sounds. Don't get distracted. Whatever God is moving, do work, and then I'll close with some prayer. All right? Let's pray. Father, you are an awesome God. Nobody is here this morning by accident. You had a word for them. So, Father, I pray that they see your glory and run to you. Pray that they find their peace and their healing in you. Pray that they find their purpose and joy in you. Father, I pray that we are radically transformed because of your power and your grace. Thank you for coming to this earth, laying your life down so that we might know life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. So, Father, I pray that you pour out your wisdom for all of us in the room trying to figure out what does it look like to follow you in every area of our lives. Pray that you convict us of sin. Pray that you give us a resolve to set our face to following you. Help us deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.